Good morning to you. It's the fourth Sunday in Advent, and so that means lots of things. It means we get to have all these candles for one, so we've, you know, we've been waiting this entire season of Advent, lighting one candle each week, and all four of them are now lit, which means Christmas is not far off. Christmas Eve is not far off. And so the text we're going to read this morning from Luke chapter 1 um, is, of course, that moment where we learn about Mary um, hearing about this thing that is going to become a central aspect of what it means for us to follow Jesus with this miraculous incarnation. And so, this is God's word from Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 38. Hear the word of the Lord. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Spirit, the Most High, will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, And she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. An incredible, incredible story. Um, During this season, you know, we sing Christmas songs together. Um, For Christmas Eve, we're going to have a Lessons and Carol service on Thursday will read scriptures from the, the Older Testament and Genesis all the way through the Newer Testament into Revelation because God's story in the Bible is the same. It is about him coming to redeem his people and to make this promise really clear by sending his son into the world on Christmas morning as we celebrate. And so when you come on Christmas Eve, we're going to be singing Christmas carols. And here's some good news for you. Are you ready? We decided to go ahead and put all the words in the bulletin for you for the Christmas songs. Uh, do, do you have those memorized? You ever, you ever tried to sing songs that you don't have the words memorized to? See if you can figure out what song this was supposed to be. Dashing through the snow with one horse, soap, and hay. That's something sometimes people say. Or how about this? All of the other reindeer. You know, that's something they say. Or this one, of course, which we'll probably sing. Get dressed, you merry gentlemen. Right? You know, we come up, like when we don't know the words of something, we kind of come up with something that kind of makes sense. And your relationship with God can kind of be like this. When you're trying to understand who Jesus is and what Christmas is all about and what God has to say, you can't help but sort of try to come up with it in your own head. And what begins to happen as you read the scriptures is your understanding of God becomes calibrated to the truth of God's word. And it is way more exciting and way more creative and way more outlandish than you could have come up with on your own. And this story here in the Gospel of Luke is no exception to that. You know, understanding what really happened is critical. Do you really understand what took place in this moment where the angel speaks to Mary? Um, What assumptions might you have about this situation? 
You know, in 1877, there was an Italian astronomer named Giovanni, and maybe you've heard of him. He discovered that there were canals on Mars, and this freaked everybody out. He was from Italy. He said, you know, canali, and so all of the people who speak English said, oh, my goodness, there's canals on Mars. And do you see the problem with this? A canal is a, it's, it's something that we make. It's something we create so that we can create passage. And so what might people begin to say in 1877 when they hear there are canals on Mars? Martians, right? It, it went around the planet that there might be life on another planet or that, uh, that Mars had been visited by, by some other planet because, after all, there are canali on there. But canal only means, as uh, Giovanni meant it, a trench or just a sort of a natural phenomenon. You know, it was misunderstood. You know, if you're going to understand what the Bible is about, you're going to understand what the Scripture is trying to say, if you're going to understand what Christmas is really about, you can make lots of assumptions. God's calling you to something else. He's calling you to actually enter into this story we look at this morning and ask yourself this question. Do I believe that we live on a visited planet, that an angel came and spoke to a Virgin Mary and told her this good news and that it changed everything. Now this morning, just kind of the three ideas of what we're going to discuss is that this is an astonishing event about an amazing story with astounding promises, okay? An astonishing event about an amazing story with astounding promises. And so first, looking more closely at this astonishing event. First, we're told about Elizabeth. Elizabeth is six months pregnant. That may not seem like a big deal until you realize that Elizabeth wasn't able to have children and she was older and for this to be true is a fulfillment of what God had promised would happen, that Elizabeth would have a son and he would prepare the way of the Lord, John the Baptist. Then there's Mary, who would soon be the mother of Jesus, and she is sort of unassuming. She's just a normal girl um, in Nazareth, and this angel appears to her and says something so profound. He says, Mary, you are highly favored. God's favor rests upon you. And then he drops this one on her. You're going to be with child. You're going to have a baby. And now for Mary, this is very disconcerting. She's troubled, right? Because she's not married yet. And so she's asking, how is this going to happen? She's pledged to be married to Joseph, uh, and yet she's being told she's going to be pregnant, and she's troubled by this. This angel appears to her, tells her what's going to happen, and Mary considers it, and then she yields and says, hey, what you have said, let, let it happen to me. Let's do this. Now, with angels, you've got to understand, we've talked about this during Advent already, angels were not something you would like walk by and go, oh, cool, an angel. That's not what it is. When you see an angel, it stops you in your tracks. You and I, will, you'll probably never see an angel in this lifetime, but when they appear, there's no doubt that something supernatural is happening. Because when Mary saw this angel, what she was able to see was something created by God with absolutely no mark or stain or brokenness or crack. And when you see something that's glorified and it's perfect without any kind of brokenness at all to it, you will be tempted to worship it. In fact, a lot of times people try to do that with angels. They try to worship them. Mary sees this angel and she's troubled. Now, what does that mean? Well, the translation there is more like the idea of weighed. She thought about. She's probably thinking to herself, am I losing my mind? Am I hallucinating? Are these pre-wedding jitters? Like, what's going on? I'm seeing an angel. And then she considers it, and her heart moves in sync because of the message the angel brings. Now, we don't talk a lot about angels um, in the church because they don't appear very often. But throughout the church, uh, the life of the church, 
people have talked about how do, how do we process and think about angels? Like, what do we think about them? St. Clement of Rome in 96 AD, who was in succession to Peter, he was probably one of Peter's co-laborers, said this, 10,000 times 10,000 were doing service to him, and, la- and they cried out, Holy, 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 Lord Sabaoth, the whole of creation is full of his glory. He then invites his readers to join with the chorus of angels in praising God. When you and I are singing to God, understand this. There are angelic choirs that join us. That God is worthy of that much praise. Something that magnificent is happening when we are worshiping. St. Athanasius in the 4th century said this, There are many archangels, many thrones and authorities and dominions, thousands of thousands, myriads of myriads, standing before him, ministering and ready to be sent. That's what Gabriel is doing here. God is sending Gabriel on a very specific mission to go tell Mary, hey, the promise is about to happen. This is astonishing that God has this messenger who appears to Mary. So Mary will know exactly what God is all about. You know, to go back to what we were talking about earlier, sometimes we're trying to figure God out. We sort of make assumptions about him. God invites us to actually read the scriptures and say, Lord, who are you? Tell me who you are. In this particular case, he used an angel to make it very clear to Mary, I'm about to change the world. And then you've heard of C.S. Lewis. The Edinburgh Press posted uh, some articles about the journal that the Inklings kept, you know, Tolkien and Lewis and his third friend that no one talks about. But they all spent time together, and they would write these different things. And one of the things that C.S. Lewis said was, a mistaken view of angels is more dangerous than an ignorance of them. A mistaken view of angels is more dangerous than an ignorant, you know, to be... Ignorant of them is even more dangerous. Now, what does he mean by that? Well, part of it is because there's a lot of confusion about angels. There's even angelic worship, and that's not a new thing. If you read in 2 Chronicles 33, you'll, talk, you'll read about these Asherah poles. Well, they were meant for angel worship. Like, people throughout the ages have been tempted to worship angels and not see them for what they are, which is a messenger. Should we pray to angels? No. Should we look for angels behind every rock? Of course not. Does God use angels to accomplish his purposes? Yes. You want to know how that works? You're going to need to ask Jesus when you see him one day. Because we really don't know much except to know that God sends them and does something with them. What this is meant to do for you in this text, it's not meant to make you sort of um, worship angels. What's meant to happen here is for you to pause as we approach at, as we approach Christmas Eve through Advent and realize that there are even angelic beings God sends to communicate this message to Mary because this is a big deal. Mary is going to be with child. He is going to be the son of God. He's going to be the savior of the world. And he's going to come humbly as a babe. Mary's troubled by by the angel's words. You think? The whole experience is probably very troubling. But what's really going on here for uh, Mary is God is inviting her to understand that he has something just astonishing that he wants to bring her to be a part of. You know, when you think about your relationship with Jesus, do you see your relationship with God as God inviting you into accomplishing his will, being part of what he's doing in the lives of other people? For Mary, it's unique. Look, she's the only woman who carried Jesus. That's a really unique position in the history of humankind. But the principle is the same. God does invite us to embody who Christ is wherever we are. As even his messengers. It's a reminder to us that God's purposes will be accomplished. As the angel says, God's word will never fail. God's word will never fail. It's an astonishing event. The messenger's credible, the message is clear, and the intent of the one sending the message is transparent. 
God does not want us to be confused about his will for us. He has sent his son to dwell among us to change the world. And he's inviting us into experiencing it with him. Okay, so what makes the story so amazing then? It's astonishing, like this is really unique, but what makes it amazing for us in particular? Consider these two ideas. One is, is that God is interested in us. Have you really taken that in? God is interested in your life. Mary is just a girl, and God decides to bring her into this story. He's interested in that. He wants us to have this story. Even today, on the other side of the planet, in the 21st century, you and I are watching this and saying, this is amazing. God is communicating his interest in us. You know, one of the things I love about my wife is when she gives gifts, they're a result of deep interest in another person. When I give you a gift, it's probably because I asked you, what do you want? What color do you want it? And like, what can I do to give you exactly what it is you want? She's way better at gift giving than me. She actually knows what I want before I do. She knows what I want and I, things I haven't thought about. I'm like, well, I never thought about getting that. But I'm so glad I now have it. You know, God approaches us in that way. God knows what you need. God knows what your heart most desires. God knows what will ultimately satisfy you. He's interested in you. And part of having a relationship with God and being amazed by this story is starting with that, that the God of heaven and earth is interested in you. He takes particular interest in Mary to include her in this story. It's really beautiful. It's very gracious of him. You know, if you've been a Christian for very long, or if you're not a Christian, you've probably experienced deep, dark moments, right? Moments where maybe you wonder if God's even present. Like, where is God? And um, as I was thinking about this, that this week, Sort of the idea of darkness, if you, if you think about it, if you've ever been or watched a National Geographic and you've seen, like, if you're in the polar circle, like, they have days there, right? If you're inside the polar circle and it's tilted just right, there are nights that will last 150-plus days. And the only light is just around the edges. And, you know, in the 14th century, there was a poem that was written called The Dark Night of the Soul. Have you ever experienced that kind of darkness, that sort of kind of darkness that seems to continue to persist day after day. Part of what this story is meant to communicate to us is that God is willing to communicate his interest in us to bring light where there is darkness. And this idea of darkness is not just a modern concept, you know, or an ancient concept that people don't think about today. If you remember Gwen Stefani's song in 1995, I'm Just a Girl, you ever read that, the lyrics of that song? Listen how sad this is. I'm just a girl in the world. That's all you'll let me be. I'm living in captivity. It makes me worrisome, your rule of thumb. I'm just a girl. What's my destiny? I've succumb- what I've succumbed to is making me numb. My apologies. It's so burdensome. Lucky me, there's no comparison. A life lived without the light of what Jesus offers by coming into our world, it, this is where it leaves you. In a dark night of the soul. Now, when life really becomes difficult, and you begin to clamor for things, you'll find that they just slip through your hands. But what happens on this Christmas morning, what happens with the message this angel delivers, it's amazing because it is sufficient for us. It has sufficient mystery. It's a reminder to us of God's interest in us, no matter where you are. It also shows us God's creativity. You know, God didn't have to use Mary to do this. God doesn't have to use you to accomplish his purpose in the woodlands and surrounding area. Why does he? Because God loves us. He's creative. He's inviting us to be part of his story. 
You know, when I, when I read this interaction that Mary has with the angel, and she considers his words, and she weighs them, and then towards the end of the text, she says, I'm the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. You know, God is inviting us on that exact same spiritual journey to know his word, to consider his ways, and to say, Lord, I'm your servant. I don't understand how this is all going to work. I don't exactly know how you're going to do what you say you're going to do, but you have proven to me over and over again that you're faithful. And so may your will be done. I am your servant. And Mary gives herself to that because really that's the journey of faith. And the only way we will lean into giving ourselves to God is if we first believe that he really loves us. You know, in this story, God expresses incredible creativity, sending an angel to deliver a message that will create a story that will resonate throughout the ages. I mean, here we are, anticipating Thursday, Christmas Eve, as we head into Christmas Eve, sort of basking in the mystery of what this is. It is an amazing story. And God's love is meant to convince us. You know, right now, people are talking about the vaccine, right? Am I going to get the vaccine? Am I not going to get the vaccine? Um, you know, part of why people are struggling with it is, is because people aren't perfect. Even though the success rate and all the numbers look really, really good, we all know that people aren't perfect. And so it's hard for us at times to trust one another um, because we know we're not perfect. But in this story, God is perfect. His ways are perfect. And the good news for us is God doesn't ask us and say, hey, here's the thing. As long as you can understand what I'm going to do, then I'll do it. That's not how it works. God says, here's what I need you to understand. I will be faithful. I will be your God. I will do great things. I'm inviting you to trust me. Will you trust him? Will you go on that journey of trusting in who he is? It leads you to kind of this last idea, the, the astounding promises in this text. I can't even go through all of them. But if you read through this text, there is fulfilled promise and made promise over and over and over again. There are promises made to Isaiah that are fulfilled here. There are promises that are made to Elizabeth just before that are fulfilled here. There are promises made to David. There's promises everywhere. In verse 26, the promise to Elizabeth, we see that coming to fruition. She's going to be with child. The angel sent to Nazareth in Galilee in verse 26. That's a promise made in Isaiah chapter 9. The virgin will be with child in verse 27. That's from Isaiah chapter 7. To Joseph in verse 27, a fulfillment of promises to, that to establish the throne of God. That's in 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Chronicles, Psalm 89, Psalm 93. Are you getting the point? The New Testament is the, is the fulfillment of God's promises. How ought we think about who God is? He is the promise maker and the promise keeper. Centuries apart, promises made, promises kept. And what that tells us is that God's word will never fail, as the angel said in verse 37. What a wonderful thing to hear from an angelic being. The word of God will never fail. Everything that God says will come true. That's God's promise to us during Advent. Mary's response to God's promises is to say, I'm your servant. It didn't go the other way around. Mary didn't prove herself and then God be kind to her. Mary didn't show that she would be able to be faithful and then God invited her in. No, no, no. God approaches Mary through the angel and says, here's what's going to happen. The Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. You're going to conceive and give birth to a child. He's going to be the son of God. You're going to care for him. And Elizabeth, by the way, is pregnant. Go celebrate. 
God does all of that, and, and then Mary is invited in to be part of the story of Advent and Christmas Eve and Christmas morning. And she believes. And that's really the thing that's being, you know, that, that we ought to think about during this season of Christmas, this season of Advent as we move towards celebrating Christmas morning. Do I really believe that God is good? Do I really believe His word will never fail? Do I really believe in this mysterious event of the virgin birth? God gave this to us to sort of spark our imaginations, to help us to sort of ascend to the reality that what God's up to is far more powerful and wonderful and magnificent than anything we could ever come up with on our own. And He is the one who will establish it. The promise made to Joseph to establish His kingdom through David and his sons, and now to Jesus, the King of Israel, God's people. God in this moment is establishing that his kingdom will prevail. Now, I don't know if you have a nativity scene in your house. We have one in our house, and we have this long sort of mantle. And we've set it up on there, and for the first time, I think, in our entire marriage, just because of the way the house is built, we have enough room to put, like, every item up there and it be visible. You know, typically when you make a nativity scene in your house, it's sort of, you cram it onto a table, or you like have camels leaning on donkeys, and you got shepherds who are kind of kneeling up against Jesus, or whatever. We actually can lay it out there. There was a time um, where I thought to myself, I'm going to remove certain elements. You know, do we have to have a camel? Well, he's really furry and looks cool. Try to keep that. Do we have to have the donkey? I don't know. Do we have to have Joseph? Hmm. What about Mary? Probably, but there's one element. If you have a nativity scene and the baby Jesus is not there, none of it makes sense at all. It's silly. It's like, what's the point? And that's really the point of Advent and Christmas. If Jesus is not at the center of this, if, if God sending this angel to speak with Mary, if that's not true, none of this matters. But the beautiful reality that God has given to us during this season is to be able to celebrate that, in fact, not only... Did the angel come and see Mary, as amazing as that is? Not only was Elizabeth with child as amazing as that is, but the promises that God made to Mary, that his kingdom will flourish, that he will accomplish his will, that the Holy Spirit will come upon her and she will conceive and have a child, that that son who was conceived lived his life, died on the cross, rose from the dead. If that's not true, none of this matters. And the beautiful news about Christmas is that it is true. God invites us to re-enter the story of Advent. You know, this week as we head towards our Christmas Eve service, take this bulletin home. Read the scriptures again. Remember God's promises. God wants you to draw great strength from promises made and promises fulfilled for your life today so that you can walk in step with His goodness. He invites you to that. As we celebrate the supper, let me pray for us as we move towards really experiencing the beauty of what Christmas offers, communing with our God. Let's pray. Father, we do give you thanks for the mystery of this story. We thank you for our ability to comprehend it, the, the clear communication of the angel to Mary that you would send your son. Lord, we thank you for the scriptures that teach us that not only was he born, but that he lived that he died, that he rose again, that all of these things are meant to invite us again into the experience of anticipating your goodness and your faithfulness on Christmas morning. Would you increase our faith as we hear your word, as we ponder it, as we 
reflect and weigh what you have said to us, Lord. Would you give us faith to walk that journey of faith after Christ, to seek him, to trust him in all things? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.